It's time for a PSA, a podcast service announcement. Hopefully the last one. CVS. I haven't been here in over a year thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, but now that businesses are opening, I can finally go shopping again. All right, now which pack of gum will get me the longest possible receipt? Hold it right there, Mr. Millennial. Grandma Charades, what in the Facebook group chat are you doing here? Shouldn't you be at home self-isolating while the rest of us who are young get to do whatever the hell we want? Now see here, Mr. Millennial. This is why kids your age should read newspapers like us. Haven't you heard the news that there's a vaccine you can take to protect yourself from the harshest effects of the coronavirus? Actually, Grandma Charades, I heard all about the vaccine from YouTube videos featuring guys with beards who talk a lot more than you'd think considering their education level. According to them, the vaccines are lame and inhibit my freedom. Just like masks! Mr. Millennial, for once in your life, you need to turn on airplane mode and talk to someone face-to-face. Six feet apart, of course. They'll tell you that these vaccines are perfectly safe and are best path forward to saving countless more lives, and maybe even return to normal in the very near future. I can finally go to a Lil Nas X concert in peace. Right after Golden Corral with the gals, of course. Gosh, Grandma Charades, I guess you're right. I just find all these Facebook posts by baby boomers so gosh darn convincing, even though they never back up what they're saying with evidence or rational thought. But how in the TikTok Fortnite dance am I supposed to get a vaccine when all the appointments are booked up for weeks? Don't worry, Mr. Millennial. You're already in a CVS pharmacy, and I took the liberty of booking your vaccine appointment for you two weeks ago. Hey, wait a minute, Grandma Charades. To do that, you would need my insurance information and other private medical history. Have you been hacking into my smartphone again? Uh, uh, uh. And if you got a vaccine already, why is your band-aid on your arm stuck over your sweater sleeve? Well, uh. And why does the band-aid feature the cartoon crows from Dumbo? Uh, look over there, Mr. Millennial. It's a Tumblr conversation about Avatar the Last Hairdryer. Whoa, really? Cinemahonks is not in any way a peer-reviewed, credible resource for disseminating official vaccine information. Yet, don't be like Mr. Millennial, ever. Read up on the CDC guidelines and schedule your vaccine appointments today if you're eligible. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm John Agroni, chief editor of Cinemaholics, film critic for Awards Watch, and I too want to cry in the middle of a funeral. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and the rumors are true. He does, in fact, run three businesses from his home. It's Will Ashton. Hey, what's up? You can find more episodes of our show including our full archive on cinemaholics.com, including written reviews and other bonus content. You can write into the show anytime by sending us an email. As always, that is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can support our show by going to our merch page uh, where we sell hoodies, mugs, t-shirts, and shot glasses, all Cinemaholics branded, of course. And we have a Patreon. If you would like to donate to the show monetarily, go to patreon.com slash cinemaholics and learn about all of our tiers Links to everything I just mentioned are in the show notes as usual. Will, we've got a great show this week. We're talking about a movie or two that you yep. saw a while back that are yep. TIFF features. And mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about those. Um, I, I know that 
these are ones that uh, we we've kind of you've talked about a little bit in the past, but we're finally sure. have a full on conversation about Shiva Baby, Concrete Cowboy, which just hit Netflix, and we have a uh, WeWork, which is uh, the WeWork documentary that just got on Hulu. All of those are are up and coming. Now, if you're wondering about our Godzilla versus Kong review, that's already out. Uh, we did a whole episode about that, pretty long conversation about that movie and the MonsterVerse at large, actually. That came out a couple days ago. You can find it on the feed. That was a good combo, I thought. Yeah, I had fun with that. Yeah, in the battle of John versus Will, though, I don't know who really won. Uh, let us let us know. Send us I, an email if you have your own thoughts. I would hope the listeners have won because they got a great audio conversation from the two of us. Yeah, no matter who wins, we lose. Sure. All right. A couple other things to get to for off topics before we dive into the film reviews of the week. William Tyler, there is a big old trailer that just hit the internet today. We are recording this on the day that Warner Brothers, which I feel like they're getting confident, you know, maybe even a little cocky. Their their Godzilla vs. Kong movie came out on Wednesday. It's Easter weekend. It's making box office. And they decided, well, Space Jam, a new legacy is uh, it's coming out in July. We're feeling pretty good about it. So here's a trailer for it. I- I'm still in this mode where I'm not really watching trailers, but you you saw this trailer and the whole internet decided they want to talk about this trailer today. Uh, why is that? Well, what, sure. what is the deal with this thing? Well, I mean, it's Space Jam, which seems to be kind of the, uh, the crossing of two uh, generations. I guess technically maybe even three generations. Actually, I don't, I don't know if Gen X really had much of an... Uh, affiliation with Space Jam. I guess it's more millennials and Gen Z who grew up in this move, grew up with this movie. Well, some of them watched it, right? Because Gen X was a big fan of Michael Jordan, right? Right. So, like, I'm sure some of them went with their kid brothers and sisters, like us. I don't know. Yeah, but do they have nostalgia for Space Jam? That probably that not millennials. No. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if Gen Zs are that into Space Jam. It just seems to be more of a more of a millennial thing. But right. um, yeah, I mean. I know, I mean, for me personally, I was, I guess, more curious than excited. I was just like, okay, they're actually making Space Jam 2. Like, this is, like, the type of thing that they have been putting off for decades now, literally. And now it's actually happening. And that was pretty surreal when I watched the trailer. It's just like, okay, this movie actually exists. (laughs) Like, it's not just, like, an abstract thing that, like, people are talking about. Like, there's a real movie. It's presumably finished by now, or at least they're finishing up special effects. So it's coming out this year. post-production, yeah. Yeah. So it's here, and uh, it's... Both what you expect and not what you expect, I guess. Um, I mean, a lot of people have already made the comparison to Ready Player One just because it has a confluence of different Warner Brothers-related characters as well as HBO-related characters that are just kind of thrown into the frame seemingly at random for this big uh, intergalactic internet-based series that is going to incorporate LeBron James instead of Michael Jordan. I presume that uh, Michael Jordan will make a cameo either as, you know, as a um you know like kind of like a passing of the torch kind of thing you really or like, think you know, so you really think he is gonna give this thing the time of possible day i feel like he's he is definitely the kind of person that'd be like you all have fun i already had my last dance well if there's one thing we learned from the last dance it's that the man loves money and he loves attention so i have to presume that you mean he he, he won't turn down a check well, that's just it, though, the attention, yeah. because like, yeah, sure, he could get a check, but the dude's already got a ton of money. Plus, sure, uh, I think Last Dance got him a lot of attention. And this sure. LeBron's in the spotlight, right? Like, would you really want a cameo in something where LeBron is like, I don't know, I, I, I imagine there's a little bit of beef there, you know, light beef. Eh, 
Possibly. I mean, I just think that's going. If he's in the movie, it's going to be like a two minute like, "Hey, here you go, kid. Good luck," kind of thing. It's not going to be like, "Hey, let me have a big Hamlet monologue." It's not going to be like a big uh, ordeal. I think it's just going to be like a brief, just like nod. Because I mean, it's obvious that like Michael Jordan is the key to the reason why uh, Space Jam was so big, right? It was not only because it was Looney Tunes, but it was Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan together for like, you know, the 90s, that was insane because it was based on that commercial, I think. And so it was just like, let's just see how much money we can make out of this thing. I don't know. I just, I imagine it's going to happen. I just, I don't know for sure. I don't have any like insider info or anything, but I I would be surprised if they don't at least have like a CG cameo or something from him or like they show footage from him from before or something. They'll, They'll do something. They'll incorporate Michael Jordan some way or another, I think. I don't know. I, I'm still of the opinion that this is uh, th- this isn't something he'll show up in. But who knows? I mean, I'm not saying it's not possible, right? Like we, it's it's one of those things that like if it happens, it happens. I guess. I, I guess what's more interesting to me is like the Ready Player One of it all. Uh, this the this idea to sort of take it from being this really offbeat kind of meta narrative about Michael Jordan's career, the career of like a legendary basketball player kind of on the outs and wanting to retire, which was very, you know, very relevant to the uh, mid to late nineties, considering Michael Jordan's career at that point to this movie with LeBron, whereas like LeBron has been a legend for a long time. I mean, they, they announced this movie like what, seven years ago. Right. So like, I don't know. I, I find myself a little bit more, um, a little, a little bit more curious about like what the story is here, like what what they're gonna try to do with this. I also saw that uh, Ryan Coogler produced this movie. Did you know this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the rub, I guess, because it's like not only was Space Jam part of uh, Michael Jordan's like legacy, but it's also a pretty personal story. I mean, admittedly, it's it's weirdly very sentimental, which is kind of odd for like a Looney Tunes property, but um, as a continuation of his like you know just ever-growing story and i'm sure they i actually never got around to finishing um the last dance i only saw like a few episodes of it but you should um, finish it it's i don't worth know if they time. actually talk about yeah but do they talk about um space jam a lot and how it connects to his whole like baseball saga and stuff like that lightly they, they talk a lot about the baseball okay. saga they talk a lot about kind of him going back and forth with his career mm-hmm. uh, space jam is obviously brought up it's it's definitely not like a big thing in the docu docu series but it's present you you should finish it it's 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 really good actually yeah i mean the baseball saga of michael jordan's story not to make this a michael jordan podcast but i do think it's more fascinating people give it credit because i remember reading this article i think it's like from the ringer or something where they're talking about how like if michael jordan really applied himself uh as a baseball player the way he did as a basketball player like he probably could been maybe not as good as he is as a basketball player, but like a pretty good baseball player. But he just like, you know, like the public wasn't really responding to it and he just wasn't really confident himself as a um, baseball player and stuff like that. So uh, in a way, I guess um, Space Jam didn't really do that saga of his story justice. But uh, in relation to your question, yeah, I mean, there is definitely something going on with the movie as far as like a father-son thing with uh, LeBron James and his uh, on-screen son. So they're going to continue that narrative with this film. I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, you could argue it didn't really work with the Michael Jordan uh, version in the first film, but um, I don't know. I'm I'm not really excited. I'm not, like, disdaining it. I'm more just curious at this point for the movie. I'm just kind of like, I don't know what this is going to be exactly. I have an idea. And I imagine it's just going to basically kind of be, like, a revamp of um, the original Space Jam movie, but for a younger generation, which is fine. 
fine. I mean, I, I hope they get as much out of it as the uh, millennial generation did with the original Space Jam. That would be my hope, at least. But um, yeah, I mean, the talent involved definitely makes me curious. The main thing that made me excited and then when it, uh, he left, it made me uh, less excited was the fact that originally Terrence Nance was going to direct this film. And that was what really made me curious because I'm a big fan of Terrence Nance. I've been trying to catch up on his filmography, but what I have seen... He's like a really interesting, visually dynamic uh, filmmaker. And he's also like very personal, and he, he he definitely does a lot of very interesting things. And I was very curious to see not only what he what he would do if he had a budget, but had a property like this. And um, I guess we'll never know unless they release the Terrence Nance yeah. cut. But um, I mean, Malcolm D. Lee. It, it's fascinating because like his career is like all over the map. Like he has some like movies I really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he has Girls yeah. Trip. He's got Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. Sure. But then he also has uh, Scary Movie Five. <laughs> And uh, night school, right? You know, wait, are you putting Roscoe Jenkins in the good camp? Because <laughs> that's yeah, a bad you don't like that one, one? in my opinion. Oh, I like that movie. No, I didn't like that one at all. all right. I mean, I haven't seen it in like a decade, so yeah, right. I mean, I like uh, Undercover Brother a lot, I think that's actually a really uh, fun, inspired parody film. Oh, um, yeah, and I, I also like uh, the Best Man movies, which uh, I don't yeah. know if they really get their full due, um, but I like those a lot as well. So, like, I, th- I think the guy has chops. Um, there's more than one Best Man movie? I've only seen uh, the nineteen. Yeah, there's the one. Best Man. Yeah, there's that one. And then, like, I think, like, ten or so years later, they made the oh, Best Man Holiday. Oh, yeah, the Holiday one. Yeah, 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 I remember now. Which is actually all right. It's, it's not, I think the first one's better, but it's a pretty good sequel, um, for what I remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. But, um, like you said, it's a Journeyman director. He kind of, like I said, he makes movies that are all over the map. He also did Night School, which is pretty awful. Yeah, that um, pretty which you terrible. saw in Dolby. I remember. <laughs> yeah, isn't he doing the uh, the Hot Wheels movie that's going to be coming oh, out? I didn't hear anything about that. I think he is. I don't know. He's gonna. I think he's doing Hot Wheels, and I think he's doing a TV show for Best Man. Um, at some point. Okay. I don't know when that's coming out. I'd be curious about the Best Man show. I mean, I don't really have any interest in the Hot Wheels thing, but I'm sure that'll get that'll be a good check. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading about it. I think it's supposed to be a sort of like conclusion to the story, which makes more sense now because I was like, oh yeah, but I, it's been so long since I saw it. I wonder what those people were up to. But totally, totally miss yeah. that they did sort of uh, revisit those the, that whole thing mm-hmm. um, a while back. I need I need to watch that apparently. So. It's a good film, yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I mean, it's a pretty good sequel. Like, I, I don't want to get your like expectations up too right, high, right. but it's a solid film, definitely. Um, as far as like these like decades later sequels are concerned, it's definitely better than the rest, I'd say. So, worth a watch. Well, that said, I think um, you mentioned Terrence Nance. I know that he's still like a credited screenwriter on this uh, Space yeah. Jam movie. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that still has some flavor, you know, that you're you're looking for. I, right. We can leave it there. I don't want to, you know, I haven't seen the trailer. And I honestly, I could keep talking to you about this Space Jam thing for a while. But let's, we, I guess we should save yeah. it for uh, <laughs> for this, this July, yep, you know. Yeah. Um, it's going to be part of the HBO Max uh, simultaneous thing, so it'll be in theaters and it'll be on HBO Max, I think, like, July 16th or so. So I'm sure the the Space Jam conversation will continue there. I did want to bring up one other thing before we get this, this show cooking. There is a whole thing that's been on Twitter lately, and we kind of touched on it a little bit over the group chat, but I wanted to bring it up on the show because it seems to have struck a little bit of a nerve. It's a sort of a revisiting of a film conversation that I personally thought was over. It was done. We weren't, we weren't talking about this anymore. Sure. Well, Star Wars never ends, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars will, 
it will be on our deathbeds and people will be talking about Star Wars. So that's, yeah, that's just a conversation that's going to continue till the end of time, I guess. But yeah, this is our next conversation yeah. about Star Wars. Yeah. The disappointment is that this this happened a little bit too recently. I didn't have time to put out a voicemail prompt. I would have loved to hear from the listeners on their thoughts on this. But okay, so the question here is, uh, we won't get into the genesis of this film discourse thing, but let's just let's just talk about it. Rogue One, uh, a Star Wars story, came out 2016. It was the follow-up to Star Wars The Force Awakens, the big Disney revival of the Star Wars IP in film. And I remember the movie being like, not a huge deal, especially compared to Force Awakens. There's a conversation happening now, though now, now that we've gotten the Force Awakens trilogy, we've gotten Solo, people are wondering, was it actually good or was it bad? Because some people are saying it was good. Some people are saying it's like hot garbage. I personally, I thought it was pretty whatever. I didn't really like the movie, honestly. I, sure. I remember giving a kind of a negative review. I thought it was... I had a couple cool scenes, some fun moments, but I didn't think it was a good movie. But there are people out there who are saying this is some of the best Star Wars has to offer. Will, I'll turn it to you. Is, is Rogue One good? Um, I mean, similar to you in that um, when I saw the movie, I remember I wasn't really into it. I think it actually kind of put me asleep, but that might have been just because um, I saw it kind of late. I just remember not really being super engaged with it. Um, like I saw it because it was a Star Wars movie and you, I think by law we have to see these Star Wars movies, but yeah, yeah. Cinematic law. Right. <laughs> um, when I saw it, I thought it was like fine. I didn't really have a strong opinion about it. Um, when I rewatched it, cause I did like rewatch leading up to, um, Rise of Skywalker. So I just rewatched all the Star Wars movies and, um, I actually liked it a little bit more the second time. I think it's a pretty good movie on the verge of being good. It's just that because it is uh, another situation where it's like two different things at once. It's like what the filmmakers want to do and what the studio wants to do with the movie that it doesn't really find its like groove because the characters that they introduce into the movie, uh, they don't really get time to develop and stuff. They don't really get a lot of uh, screen time compared because um, they keep trying to introduce all these like callbacks and different references to the um Star Wars, the original Star Wars movie, and like they keep focusing on the bad guys who aren't that really that interesting, and they like keep going like, "Hey, here's the Death Star. They're building it. That's gonna happen," and stuff like that. And it's just like, I mean, I'd, I'd rather like I'd like to meet these characters that you're introducing because they are kind of interesting in terms of like, you know, they're a little bit moodier, they're a little bit darker than we get from the other Disney movies, with the exception yeah. of like um, Last Jedi and stuff. And I think there was a lot of potential there. I think it's like I said, it's, I think it's a decent, pretty good film that that could have been good if they. Made maybe had a little bit more confidence in Gareth Edwards' vision for it. But, um, I mean, I don't exactly know what happened. Like, I don't know if he left willingly or if he uh, just, like, they just didn't get along or what exactly happened. I know there's a long history of uh, movies from the Disney Kathleen Kennedy branch that don't really have a uh, smooth uh, uh, filmmaking process. But um, this one, I think... I, I definitely remember when it came out and like the years to follow, like people really responded to it well. I, I think it's a little bit more well received than you gave it credit because I definitely remember people were like, I don't really like the Disney Star Wars movies, but I like Rogue One. So this one, I think it, I can see why because it's a little bit like it's a little bit more mature than the other Disney movies. It, it does have some kind of moody callbacks to the uh, original trilogy in ways that I think are interesting. I just think as a movie, it doesn't fully come together in a way that that makes it as satisfying as something like Last Jedi. I, I, I'll say, you know, this movie came out like right before we started doing Cinemaholics. So we didn't talk about it too much, you and I. And 
I, I don't remember exactly what the attitude around this film was. I remember it being a little bit more half and half. Uh, there was people who were either they really, really liked it or they didn't like it at all. There wasn't there weren't a ton of people who were kind of in between, um, at least in like my little social sphere. I think my thing with it is I did appreciate that they were trying to do something kind of different. Like they were actually experimenting a bit with other corners of like the Star Wars stuff and they were trying to do different. My thing with it though is if you have a movie that is meant to be sort of a prequel where you already know what the end result's going to be because most of the people watching this have seen Star Wars A New Hope, then you it can't skew too much toward the plot because the plot isn't going to be as interesting when you know that like, okay, in the end, we know that the Death Star is going to be blown up. We know that the, the heroes overall will excel. They'll, they'll win at the, at the end of the day. So what you need to do with a movie like that is you need to make the characters really interesting. You need to make us really care about them. Exactly. And yeah. that's where I think the movie really falls short because like it skews way, way more toward plot. I mean, I remember being getting some like whiplash from like where we want to planet to planet. And mm -hmm. I, I remember the Jyn Erso character played by Felicity Jones. I remember Diego Luna's character, Captain Cassian, whatever. I just remember them being really boring and uninteresting. And I remember like the characters who were kind of more interesting, like the Donnie Yen guy and, you know, the, the Riz Ahmed's character, they didn't get that much screen time and just like stuff happened in that movie for sure. But I never really like, like you were kind of saying, like I never connected the characters. So I was just like, uh, fe not feeling like it was great. I think what people like about it is the last third of it is like this big action set piece that is really different yep. for Star Wars. Feels more like a war movie, yep. stuff's happening, you know? I remember the Darth Vader hallway scene, people were losing their minds. And even though I think that it, yeah, it, which it's kind of laughably out of place, what were you going to say? I say, I find the response to that scene kind of weird yeah, because yeah. it's like, I, I remember, I think it was like Jay Nicholson was just like, it would be like making a Civil War movie and just ending it with like, uh, like Robert E. Lee, <laughs> just like cutting people in, yeah. up and like, that's the end of the film. It's just like, okay, like that's an odd way to end this story. <laughs> right. Like I get that that was like a studio incorporation and I think it's a fun scene, like just for like, you know, like it, it's well choreographed, like, you know, it's, it's fun to see Darth Vader slicing people up, but as like an end scene, it's just a very bizarre way to wrap up the story especially one that's all about like the gravity of like loss and like you know yeah. like the sacrifices of war and stuff and it's just like and now here's darth vader just slicing people up the bits and right. good night everybody <laughs> it feels like fan fiction to me honestly because it's like it's kind of like what we want like we what as kids we imagined the powerful darth vader to be but the original trilogy had a budget and a cinematic style that is very different from our modern action movie <laughs> expectations. And so that's why it kind of like, for me, kind of flatlines because it doesn't really match up with that image of Darth Vader, but it is kind of a wish fulfillment of like, what if we could redo the trilogy and reimagine like the Darth Vader Obi-Wan fight as being more kinetic and whatever. My whole thing is that like, I remember after seeing Rogue One being significantly less excited about new Star Wars movies because I, I guess I was just feeling like already starting to feel the fatigue. I think Last Jedi though, put a lot of goodwill into me and I and you know I like Solo. So I, I definitely, I consider Rogue One to be probably the second weakest of these movies next to Rise of Skywalker. But I, I know you're, you're- Oh, really? Yeah, I would say I would say Rogue One's not as bad as Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker actually- You would put- Ages so poorly for okay. me. No, no. No, no, I mean, I think Rise of Skywalker might be my least favorite. I just, I'm surprised that you would put uh, Rogue One below the prequels, or at least like the first. Oh, I'm two. talking about the new stuff. 
I'm not talking about. I'm not oh, including okay, the okay, prequels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about like uh, the Disney Star Wars stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I would put. I would put it uh, above Solo, but not, like, too high above Solo. Like, I think it's just a little bit better. But um, I just think it's just, like, the stuff that I like in it is, like, the cinematography. I like, like, the environments. I like that has kind of a grit to it that the other Star Wars movies that were they yeah, were avoiding the, by that point. There's a texture. Um, but, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and I think that comes from Gareth Edwards, like I said, um, in our Godzilla v. Kong conversation. I think he's really good about, like, establishing scale and, like, stakes and stuff like that. I think he's really good as a director of doing stuff like that. I just don't think story-wise he always succeeds or, like, like develop, or developing, like, dramatic characters and stuff like that. That's where he seems to have some weaknesses. And I'm assuming that's where Disney came in and they weren't quite confident with his vision. I don't exactly know. But, um, yeah, I mean, by and large, I think it's better than you're giving it credit, but I don't think it's, like, an amazing Star Wars movie or anything. I think it has its faults. It's uh, definitely, like, you know, not as good, in my opinion, as uh, Last Jedi. But I, I would say it's probably my second. Well, actually, no, I would say um, this one or uh, Last Jedi, Force Awakens, then Broke One. I mean, yeah, that's where I'm at. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's enough Star Wars talk. We talked Star Wars. We talked Space Jam, Godzilla, Kong. I'm sick of all these blockbusters, Will Ashton. I want to sure. talk about some content. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, cinema. A movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. An art house joint. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about art house stuff. Let's do it. This was a, a little bit of contention to talk about this movie first. You know, we usually start with the featured movie and going into this week's reviews, we were like, okay, so we're doing Godzilla versus Kong during the week since it got an earlier re release. So like, what is going to be the movie that's going to have the most conversation around it? And we were expecting that that was going to be Concrete Cowboy. And we'll talk about Concrete Cowboy later, of course. This is That's like the Netflix thing. And we were thinking, well, okay, it's Netflix. It's the big streaming service. Idris Elba, Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things, Method Man. Come on, this cast is just ridiculous. And we we did the math though. I mean, like, Will, you messaged me and you're like, I don't know, John. I <laughs> I feel like Shiva Baby is the movie that our audience is probably more interested in. Like, believe it or not. And I I think you're right because we we did the math and we looked and like, its trailer did way better than you would expect for an indie film, and I think uh, it, yeah, it's letterboxed, completely outperformed Concrete Cowboy. Like if you go to Shiva Baby and Concrete Cowboy side by side on the letterbox, which is where we do our social media for film stuff, definitely follow us on there for sure. Because uh, we love, love, love letterboxed over here. Yeah. Shiva like Baby, it, it's not even close how many more people have yeah. watched Shiva Baby, which you can't even, like, it's not Netflix. It's like, it's not as accessible. And yet I think, and both right, that's of these, what surprises me. Yeah. Both of these came out of TIFF. Like, it's not like Shiva Baby's been out for a while, Concrete Cowboy has it. No, it's like, yeah. I, I'm kind of stunned a little bit, aren't you? Well, I think, I don't know, I don't know for sure what happened with Shiva Baby after TIFF, but I imagine it probably played at a few more virtual film festivals. That's a good point. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it did um, did play a little bit more. And, and I believe um, Netflix picked up Concrete Cowboy shortly after it's it's a uh, it's playing Shiva Baby at uh, the San Francisco Film Festival, so I know that. And yeah, I actually haven't looked into if it's played at any other ones, but and also it's being distributed by movies, so technically it, it does have like that connection. I think so. Oh really? Okay. Cool. Yeah, I don't think I'm not sure if it's everywhere, but yeah. And it, I did I do think it played at South by Southwest, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, it was gonna play at South by Southwest, and then it didn't. <laughs> and it came out in Canada a, a little bit earlier too, I should say. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I knew like it 
other people had seen it. I, I don't exactly know how, but um, I believe, yeah, this this does seem like a festival darling kind of thing. So it wouldn't surprise me if it had a pretty long festival run after TIFF, but I didn't really follow it until this week. So yeah. I can't say for certain. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this new movie, Shiva Baby. Danielle! Danielle! Please don't yell. Moira's here and her daughter Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Darling. Hi, Hi, Hi Mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. No funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's by is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. You can't just, like, show up to, like, the after party for a shiva and like reap the benefits of the buffet. She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder? I'm just your major again. Sweetheart, feminism isn't exactly what I call a career. It's not my know? career, it's a lens. Shiva Baby is a kind of dark comedy. It was written and directed by Emma Seligman. I think this is her directorial debut. And the film stars Rachel uh... Sennett. Oh, no, I was going to say it is her feature debut because it's based on her short film. So, yeah, right. it is her debut. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's based on her short film. Uh, is it of the same name? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very small contained film. Not a lot of locations. The setup is that we have this main character named Danielle, played by Rachel Sennett, who I wasn't familiar with before this film. I don't know if she's been in a lot of things, as far as I'm aware of. I think... Um, I, I think she's been at TV stuff. She's a big uh, Twitter person, I know, because I've seen her tweets. And mm-hmm. It took me a minute. Like, it, it wasn't until this week that I was like, oh, it's that lady from Twitter. Because I, like, I've seen her like tweets and stuff before, but I didn't make the connection. So uh, I think people are familiar with her, but maybe not from other movies and shows. I don't exactly know. I think that, I think movies is a thing. I can't I don't know if she's been in a lot of other movies. I know she's on TV and you're right. Yeah, she's got some Twitter cred. But yeah, she's the star of this film for sure. Uh, this is a co-production between the United States and Canada. So, and I, I believe Emma Seligman herself is Canadian. And the story is that we have this young woman, she's still in college, she is Jewish, and she's attending a shiva with her family. A shiva is sort of like a, it's the thing you go to after the funeral in a Jewish culture. I think, uh, do we call, what do we call that in uh, other contexts? I, I don't know, like, um, Puerto Ricans, we have like specific verbiage for that sort of thing. I think we just say funeral and uh, like the ceremony and then there's the wake and all that. I I haven't been to a ton of funerals, so I I actually don't know for sure. But regardless, she goes to this and uh, it's kind of like a gathering of a lot of people she grew up with, including her her ex-girlfriend, Maya, played by Molly Gordon. And uh, so that's kind of awkward, right? But that said, she is bisexual. And the other person who happens to be there is somebody who actually... Uh, pays her for sexual intercourse, uh, a guy named Max, played by Danny DeFerrari. And things get a little bit more complicated as we find out that he's there with somebody else, played by Diana Agron. And that's that's all I'll say there, because uh, part of this movie is like the tension and the anxiety and the discomfort of this movie is all about the layers upon layers. You can kind of see where this movie is going early on where you're like, okay, so like there's going to be some people coming in here to make things kind of awkward. She spends most of this movie kind of like an, it's like an uncut gems sort of energy where, okay, what's going to, what's going to go wrong this time. And I really, really, really loved it. I think this movie is so effective. 
it is the perfect amount of it's like the perfect length like every scene feels important every moment feels like it builds upon the other the editing in here is just i think exactly right like they just really nail a tonal like feeling to this where you're in it with her you want to get out of there as soon as she uh, just like she does but at the same time you're kind of curious about what's going to happen next and who she's going to run into her complicated feelings of all these people who are there including her parents played by polly draper and fred melamed who are just probably my favorite favorite actors in this oh. Uh, I would love to talk about Fred Melman for forever. I, I think he's a fantastic actor. I love him. Uh, he's the only reason I might watch WandaVision, though I heard he's only in the first episode. Only one so episode, that, yeah. The tears me a little bit, which, uh, uh, absolute shame. He should be a, either Every a villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or, subsequently, he should play a superhero. Give him sure. one of the lead roles, I say. All right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I love that guy. I also love Polly Draper in this too. And uh, Jackie Hoffman is in this as well. Deborah Offner. I mean, I just loved being in this Shiva, even though it was very uncomfortable and I don't technically want to be in this Shiva at all. I just, this is just one of those movies that, like you said, it's a festival darling. It is focused. It has a clear idea. It has a beginning, middle and end that all feel like this director has something to say. She doesn't stuff it with a ton of extra unnecessary stuff. She doesn't make her protagonist uh, like not, she makes her protagonist believable. Like sometimes our protagonists feel a little bit too blank, a little bit too much. Like they're trying to like make everybody feel so like they can relate to this person in very broad way. Instead, this movie does what I think some of the best cultural movies do, which it uses its specificity to make people able to like relate with it. So even if you're not Jewish, even if you've never been to a Shiva in your life, you will recognize things in here that are specific to those people and relate it to yourself or feel like empathy for them and or also just get a little bit of a gleaning of like what life is like yeah. for a different group of people. And I, I just think it's super effective in that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I saw this, like I said, at TIFF um, and I would say at three virtual film festivals that I went to, I think Tiff probably had the like, strongest showing of like good movies to bad altogether. So I saw like a like a, a, a number of movies I really liked there, like City Hall, Nomadland, uh, One Night in Miami, Seventy Six Days. Like a lot of movies I were like, yeah, Monday I liked a lot. We'll talk about that in a week or two. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about that one. Um, very curious also to hear what you think about that one for sure. Yeah, but I want to um, see a holler too. Yeah, holler's pretty good. I know that one's coming to um, the San Francisco Film Festival. You said yeah. so. Um, that's, that's one of the word that's worth checking out. Um, I didn't love it, but it, it is worth checking out. But, um, what I was going to say is that Shiva baby, like it wasn't my absolute favorite, but it was definitely in my top five. And I think it's for a lot of reasons you suggested in that, um, it's not that it's doing like anything revolutionary, anything like that. It's a story you've kind of seen before, but it's very smart and it's very economical about what it's doing. And it has a very clear point of view. It's a very personal film. And it's pretty much what you'd want from a directorial debut. Like you said, it's very focused. It knows what it wants to say. It has a very uh, specific cultural background, but by being so spe uh, specific that it has that universal humanity to it. And it just has a lot of really good performances, particularly from our lead actress, who I think this is just... 
a really great showcase for her. I'm very curious to see what she's going to do later, like what type of role she's going to pick up. Same. But casting wise, this is basically perfect for her. Like this is the ideal, I think, role from her. Granted, I haven't seen her in other things, so she might, you know, have a lot more uh, dynamic versatility than I'm giving her credit. But I think, you know, just like by uh, this performance alone, just feels like the type of uh, performance that or type of character that really uh, makes her shine. And I, yeah, I mean, I have nothing but really high positive things to say about it. It's just say a, a very, I want to say a good time, but it's, it's not really yeah. a good time per se, but unless you're talking about good time, the Robert Pattinson movie. Yeah. Uh, comparatively. Yeah. It's definitely very, uh, uh, very high anxiety in a similar way, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely thought this was a, a real charmer. I'll be clear. It's not the best comparison. <laughs> it's not a crime movie or anything like that. It's not like, it's not like uncut gems in the sense that you're just like fearing for people's lives or anything. It's just, it's no, I mean, just like tonally, yeah, yeah. anxiety wise, it, it, it is very similar. And that's the thing, too, is that like, I love that this movie, like you were saying before, I guess, like, it's not like what's happening here is like super high stakes or anything like that. Right. Like, it's all very like grounded, very like, you know, um, low in terms of like keeping it to one environment, keeping it to a few select characters. But it's great at capturing that anxiety of like, you know, feeling in the moment and just like feeling so overwhelmed at the same time. And I know we were talking about like Violet and that's a movie I do like, but I feel like that movie kind of takes some corners with anxiety in a way that this movie, like everything about it just felt like exactly what it's like to be anxiety and with a bunch of people at the same time. It just, it, it captures that, that feeling so well in a way that is really commendable for a first time filmmaker. Well, I do have to push back a little bit on this Violet slander. I, I think both of these movies are of similar. I like Violet. I mean, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like both of these about the same amount, which is a lot. I think the secret weapon of this movie is the mother-daughter relationship. Because it would be so easy for this to sort of push the the parents into this like caricature, this like Jewish caricature we see in other things like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you know. Not that I dislike that show, but it's just sometimes we we do get these like Jewish uh, parents who have a a certain thing to them or like because there's a lot of like adults in this who are very insensitive and they think they're being polite but of course they're asking horrifically invasive questions and there's a way to do that uh that is effective and that doesn't feel like gratuitous and weirdly enough this movie kind of nails that balance and i think one of the reasons it works is because it doesn't force it doesn't force villains out of the parents it allows time for us to like sort of see what is really the dynamic between the two i think the two main characters are the mother and daughter this is a brave sort of situation where i think that their relationship and how they relate to each other and connect with each other informs a lot of how our main character danielle is able to cope with everything that's happening at this shiva you can tell that like if she at least has her parents, there is a way for us for her to get by. And there's, I, th I thought there was something really nice to that. And uh, I, I want to add to that. This is one of those movies that is really good at trying hard without looking like it's trying hard. Like it makes its setup and its delivery and its entire mood as a movie look kind of effortless. Like it's one of those things where you could watch it and be like, oh, I can make a movie like that. But of course, like, a movie like this, as minimal as it is, is in probably unbelievably yep. difficult to pull off, but she does it. 
Yeah, it's like a spinning plate act. It's just, it, yeah, it, it's very uh, precise, and it, it is definitely like keeping everything in balance. And uh, like I said, it's very much a a testament to uh, this first time filmmaker. I believe is only like twenty five or so, which is um, definitely uh, a little nerve wracking for someone like me who's uh, a few years older. But um, you know, more credit to her. She she's coming out of the gate strong. Absolutely, Molly Gordon is in this. We talked about Molly Gordon. I think uh, a few times on this show, we talked about the movies like Good Boys and Booksmart. And if you recall, I said about Booksmart, and, Molly uh, Gordon is going places. Mm-hmm. I think this is like didn't the next we, uh, uh Didn't we talk about Life of the Party too, which is like one of our most popular episodes? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Life of the Party. Uh, I don't. I, we did talk about that, but I don't remember talking about Molly Gordon in that. Okay, I, I remember she was one of the main characters. That was my introduction to her. Uh, just because that's or at least the first time I remember her in a movie. But um, yeah, she she definitely has done a lot of good stuff, and this is one of her best performances to date, in my opinion. She's wonderful. I I think that like there's a point in this movie where I hated her, and yet I still loved her, and I was like, ah, I'm just like the main character in this instance. And I I just think there's a lot to that. They have like this uh this conversation at one point by the house that was so perfectly written at least to my tastes it, like it's exactly how these conversations go where you're arguing with somebody and you bring up something like really minor and slight and i won't say what happens after that but it's just like i don't know there, there was something just very relatable i guess about this dynamic uh and just when you're at a group setting and like there's a person there you wish they weren't there but you're so glad they're there ah that like the, the tension of that this movie delivers it so well i i really like this movie a lot is all i'm trying to say I, anything else you want to add uh, what's what's your what's your letter grade too i'm i'm wondering yeah um yeah i i wanted to rewatch it just to kind of uh have a stronger opinion or maybe kind of refresh myself on some of the things i might have been critical about um but by and large like i said the stuff that works is what ultimately stands out to me i think it's you know like everything we were saying like it's it's really well edited it's definitely very focused in its direction um it's you know definitely i always love movies about like trying to keep up appearances like it's one of those things that's commonly done but few movies really do it well um and like you were saying i like that this movie is very uh specific in its comedy there are a lot of avenues in which this could have been a lot broader or a lot like more wacky and i like that the movie keeps itself pretty tonally focused and uh i think it's all the better for it so um i'm gonna give it i'm between a low a minus and a high b plus and i think i'm gonna give it a very high b plus but um i definitely think it's one checking out it's one worth checking out i mean and it's probably one of my favorites for the year Awesome. I'm I'm a confident A minus. I didn't get into it, but I really, really love this movie's relationship with food. Like it's such a big presence of this movie and it Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I sure. loved it. I, I loved how like the food of it informed so much of like the way that we eat when we're stressed, but then also how like people come to these things and spend a lot of their time eating. And I, I don't know, there's like little jokes in that. Mm-hmm. I guess the only the only flaw that I can really think of that is worth bringing up at all, honestly would be i guess there's two i could see maybe some people finding this to be a little slight when it comes to lgbt representation and uh jewish representation at that like it it does sort of lean on some tropes there that could be for some people a little tiring i think for most people it won't be but uh, certainly there are some folks who'll watch this and be a little bit all right i've seen this song or dance before 
Uh, and also, I, I don't think it's not the kind of comedy that's going to make you laugh out loud constantly. That's not really what this is going for. It's not a up like a straight up laugh a minute thing. Although there are a few lines that I genuinely think are pretty hilarious involving one involving Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So confident A minus for me. Uh, pretty high B plus for you. Yeah. I mean, is, is there anything yeah. else? Like, I, I can't think if I was I have to like dig um, for flaws with this movie myself. But yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not like trying to like pick holes or anything. I, I do remember that. Um, I'm trying to see if I remember her name. Uh, Diana Agron, mm-hmm. the actress. I don't think her performance is bad, but her character just kind of feels a bit cliched. Like we've kind of seen, you know, like the flawless mother kind of character a lot. And it didn't I didn't really think really? they subverted that or anything or did anything. I mean, I thought it was like fine. I just felt like compared to the rest of the stuff, that stuff was kind of slight. I thought she was cliched at first. I don't know. I thought as the movie went on and we learned a little bit more about her, she started actually to become a little bit more sympathetic, a little bit more of like, okay, like the way the first impression of her, I think, is a little off. Sure. But that that's kind of traditionally how these things go, right? Like they, they tend to do that where it's just like, oh, this woman's flawless. How is she doing all this? And it's like, oh, but she's not flawless. She has her own problems. We just don't see them. And I just feel like mm-hmm. that that's kind of done a lot. And that's a small complaint. Like I said, the stuff that works, I think really works. And then it, at most, it's just like, eh, that's just not quite as good as the rest of the stuff. And I think it's more a testament to how good the other stuff is and how it's able to be true to life and subversive while following this uh, template that's familiar, but keeps the, the story in focus. And I just felt like that stuff wasn't quite as good comparatively. But that's, like I said, a pretty minor thing by and large. I'll have to think about it a little bit more. But my initial reaction to that, and I I could be misremembering parts of the film, right? I I think at least my reading of it is that it feels a little bit like the main character, Danielle, is trying to find flaws in her, but then finds that it's, it's not that like she tries to come up with reasons for why she would make her partner feel dissatisfied, but she can't really find them. There's mm-hmm. there's nothing really that wrong with her. She's like trying to like lambast right. the girl boss lifestyle and it kind of just falls yeah. flat. And certainly she's not a perfect character anyway. We learn about it. Like she's just a human being. And I guess that's why it landed for me. I was like, oh, oh sure. that's what they're trying to get across. Yeah. And she's more a victim than anything, right? And whereas like they, I think the movie rightfully puts it on the Max character who is obviously this film's dirt bag. And if anything, I wish that it had gone sure. a little bit harder on how awful he is. I think he kind of, not that he gets off the hook at all, but I think that he just sort of, I don't know, gets a little bit too much slack in some cases. But uh. He gets it easy. Yeah. But I think it's like, the way I see it with him is just like, like, even though it is a movie, it's like, it is trying to be kind of true to life and that like, not everything's going to be resolved here. Like, I think there's going to be For more sure. tension with them later down the road and I, I don't feel like the movie needs to have a definitive closure point for them even if we're not going to like reconnect with these characters later down the line i don't know that stuff i can that's understandable and i, I do agree that like they could have done more to like you know lambassum or something like that but um yeah i think I, th- I think everything you said there is true last thing i'll say and because i just i have so much to say about this movie clearly i love this score this score is so good uh, Ariel oh, yeah, Marks yeah. does it. Uh, she, I, I'm not as familiar with her. I know she's a, an NYU person, so she knows Seligman through that and everything. But wonderful, wonderful score. It is a, it's horror. It's it's a horror movie score, but they do it on this like dark comedy indie, yeah. and I think it's just genius for this kind of movie. It fits perfectly. Oh, completely agree. All right, that's Shiva Baby. I've ended on that note. On that note, get it? Uh, so that's it's <laughs> Shiva Baby. Baby. Ah, there you go. 
Um, I think yeah. this movie is available to watch right now in theaters and streaming. I, I don't know where you can stream it exactly. I think it's like video on demand, but I'm not 100% sure about that. I should have looked that up beforehand. But yeah, I think uh, it's possibly available on Mubi. I don't know if they've released it on their service yet. Uh, hopefully that's the case. If you have yeah. Mubi, uh, keep an eye out for it. It might be available, but we are not a great, <laughs> we're, we're yeah. definitely not offering the goods on that information. But wherever sure. you can find this movie, uh, great. definitely see it. A uh, great double feature with the boss baby, for sure. Mm. <laughs> I, is that on movie as uh, well? <laughs> I have no idea. I would be, be shocked if that was on movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should say but, too. Not everybody know. knows what movie is. It's M U B I. It's a streaming service where they like. Yeah. They have like thirty films. Then every day, it's like one film gets removed, one gets added. Mm-hmm. So it's like a film curation streaming service. It's really good. I've I've subscribed to it before and checked it out. I know you have as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's where I saw Dead Pigs a few months ago. Right. Um, and among other films. Uh, yeah, they have a lot of good stuff and a lot of originals as well. And I believe they have a deal now, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, where I think it's like three months for a dollar. Uh, I, I was going to hit that up. Um, so I, I think that's worth checking out for sure if, if that deal becomes available to you as well. So. Yeah. I uh, I never uh, told – I don't know if I told you this, but I tried to write for movie at one point, and uh, they, said, oh, yeah? they said TBD – um they, yeah because okay. they were like we're not accepting writers right now but yeah let's talk again they gave me a date like uh it's like a soft like great no. like film essays or like what what type of things we'll would talk you about it after the show yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. There, okay. there was like this whole thing for it uh it would have been really cool i really like i like their deal i i hope i can do stuff for them at some point someday yeah they're, i like they're their the the cool kids yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're like the cool kids at the back of the uh, cafeteria that, that have cool interests and uh, they have a unique art taste. And you're like, I want to kind of figure out what their deal is. Like yeah, which we're, it's, I can different. imagine you and I were trying to sit at the table and they're just like, uh, Will can stay. John, yeah. get out of here. Well, Netflix and Hulu yeah. are over there. Oh, man. Yeah, I was going to say, well, Netflix is like the jocks, right? Like they're like the, the mm-hmm. cool kids. They got all the confidence. They got the money and stuff like that. Hulu's like the nerds, I guess. Like they're No, like, no, no, no. Hulu, those are the preppy kids. Those okay. are the preps. Who would be the nerds? The nerds? Uh, cr- no, Criterion probably. Or are those the art students? Uh, the artistic yeah. ones? Yeah, I was going to say, that would be like the art students, yeah. Um, maybe Paramount Plus? Oh. Paramount Plus is pretty nerdy. Maybe. Would you put them over like Peacock? Is Peacock popular at this point? I think Peacock is like the like class clowns, you know, where they okay. they're, they're all trying to write for SNL at some point. Uh, see, I feel like Peacock would be like the posers, right? Because they want to like act like they have all this cool stuff, but they just do like the like they 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 ride on like the office and like exactly. having like you know like basically yeah. like rich parents Ex- basically. Yep. yep. You know. Yeah. Crunchy roll though. Maybe that's where the nerds are at. That's where I'm at. You know, watching anime. Sure, fair enough. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> we cracked that code. Uh, where's what's Quibi? What's uh, what's Quibi? Are they kid the, got the kids that like for, they didn't even smoke yeah, the weed. Yes. They just like held it for someone else. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, wow. I can't top that one. So, yeah. Poor kid. Legend has it that they like are homeschooled now. I think just homeschooled yeah. in general. No, I like that because it's like yeah. Cause it's like they're just like the kid that like comes out and they're like they see a bunch of kids smoking pot and they're like hey do you want to hit this and just when they go put up on their lips that's when like the principal comes outside and he's like hey what are you doing yeah and he's like ah oh, yeah I wasn't and he's like you get in my office yeah yeah perfect um yeah, I like that that that's good canon there we go all right well we figured it out <laughs> we uh we brought it down to a science listeners 
Yeah. HBO right in Max though. Where you? Yeah, you're. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, HBO Max. I don't know. I, I, we'll have to figure that one out. Teachers yeah, Lounge. Episode, I guess because I don't know where they fit. I guess. Maybe. I feel like because they're trying to be cool. They they've got a lot of cool stuff. They're adults, you know, but they still aren't cool for some reason, and you can't really explain why. Yeah. Or maybe they're like, no, 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 they're the former upperclassmen who graduated, but like came back and are just like, hey, we want to hang out with you guys. And like, aren't you supposed to be in college? Yeah, because like they had like their their day in the sun with like Game of Thrones and stuff. And now people are just right. kind of like over it and they have Netflix and stuff. And it's just like, oh, you're still mm. around here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. OK, <laughs> sure. All right. Let's talk about Concrete Cowboy. This is a new modern western drama coming of age drama directed by ricky staub and uh, he co-wrote the film with dan walser and it's actually based on a novel i didn't know this going into the movie it's called ghetto cowboy it's by greg neri and i also didn't know this going into the film that it is a fictionalization of a real thing in philadelphia where they have this thing called the Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club. It's a real thing. In the middle of the city, there is an urban horse riding culture in Philadelphia. And I genuinely had no idea about this. It is predominantly African-American, and it's been a long, long, long running thing, a long legacy in this community. And what's interesting to me is like, if this movie was all of that, I think this movie would be brilliant. There, there was a point yeah. where I was thinking that's what it was going to be. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the last black man in San Francisco, but you know, for Philadelphia, because it touches on like development and gentrification and things like that. Mm -hmm. Then no, <laughs> that's not what this movie is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Will, what is, what is Concrete Cowboy about and who is in it? Oh man. Uh, relying on me, the guy who saw this movie, uh, what, like six or eight months ago? <laughs> oh, that's ago? true. I, um, I, I could do the, I could do the overview if you want. Yeah, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, my, my memory of it is a bit fleeting at this point. All right, all right. So uh, I'll, I'll touch on it then. Okay, so this movie stars Idris Elba and uh, Caleb McLaughlin. They're the two main guys. And the movie actually starts in Detroit, and we have this guy, and you might remember, you might remember Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things. He's getting a little bit older now, though. He's uh, I think he's almost like 20 years old now. And so his he's not the kid from Stranger Things, basically. He's the man from Stranger Things. That's now. right, exactly. Yeah. I'm really happy to see him, by the way, in a movie like this. I've always kind of felt like that character is a little bit underwritten. Like, they've tried to do more stuff with him in the third season of that show, but I don't know. I just always feel like he has to play, like, the, you know, the second hat to other characters when I think that he is really interesting in the context of this kind of Spielbergian. Anyway, I, Stranger Things con conversation for another day. But uh, anyway, so Caleb McLaughlin. I didn't even think about... Uh... So this is coming out the same weekend as Godzilla versus Kong, which is uh, Millie Bobby Brown's thing. Yeah, I didn't even I did think, think about, about that, that until now. Yeah, yeah, two big, two big movies for them, right? Whereas like Millie Bobby yeah. Brown, she has been like in films, like she's bit, she's had a bit of more of a high profile uh, in Hollywood over the last few years. It looks like Caleb McLaughlin, though, this is kind of representing a different kind of path for him. He's kind of taken a path of like doing these more character studies, which is very exciting because I think that he is an extremely good actor. And I think this movie solidifies that, even though I don't think this film fully utilizes his talents. I, I guess I, I shouldn't say that yeah. it does and it doesn't, but we'll get into that. 
So his whole deal is that sure. he's an angsty teenager. He's got to learn a few lessons. You've seen oh, this freaking movie so many times where he breaks rules, an right? An angsty teenager. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. He's just but that's wow. the thing. He's one summer away. All that one summer and a bond with a horse and he is going to be a totally he's going to be a changed man. And that is this movie. It's the typical coming yep. of age thing where he goes to a new place, meets a bunch of colorful characters, gets into some trouble, learns lessons the hard way, but a bond with a oh, horse wow. is going to fix it all. Yeah. Oh man. Who could who could have guessed it? I will say though, like this movie, for all of its tropes and all its, all of its sort of like uh, reliance on, it, like it's not confident. I think in its historical legacy stuff, which feels more of like a backdrop instead of the focus. And I think that is a shame. It's like it's trying to squeeze in this other narrative about like if kids had horses, they wouldn't be selling drugs. Uh, there's this whole thing with Gerald Jerome from when they see us. Wonderful actor, uh, terrific actor. And I'm really happy to see him here. Like he really pulls off this sort of like swarmy but lovable kind of guy who you know is – you know that uh, some bad stuff's going to happen to him uh, at some point and in some way because he used to be part of this horse riding culture. He's kind of broken away from it because he he has bigger aspirations. He has a connection with our main character, Cole, played by McLaughlin. And I think what I struggle with with this movie, because like, this movie has like a tug of war where he's like, okay, I could hang out with my best friend, Smush, played by Jerome, who is offering me... Uh, you know, like a future, like he's offering me something like he's offering a way for me to like get something out of this new town. Whereas the first few interactions he has with his dad played by Idris Elba, his estranged father, it's child abuse, right? Like, am I going too far by saying that? I said that in my review. It really does come off uh, as child abuse. I don't know if, I mean, that's a gray area. I don't know if I feel comfortable going into but the fact that it even is a gray area, because like he has to share a living room with a live horse, sleep on a couch, and his dad isn't providing him food. He's not. It doesn't look like he's providing him water and anything sanitary. Like this is a terrible, terrible environment. So the movie constantly is being like, "But this is where you should be right now." And I, this is the part of the movie where I'm like, "What the heck?" Like, what? I don't know. It just it really rubbed me the wrong way, honestly. Uh, yeah. I mean. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just I don't know if I I would come out of the gate that strongly about his uh, behavior. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sit this one out. <laughs> that 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 argument. Fair out. enough. Fair enough. Uh, but I I should say at the same time, Idris Elba dresses up like a cowboy, and we know Idris Elba is a great actor, right? And like yes. mm -hmm. all it really takes for Idris Elba to sort of like he has this he has enough star power so that like for me to be entertained by him in a movie, him dressing yeah. up like a cowboy that gets us like gaze. Oh my gosh, it's a, I'm an easy mm -hmm. sell on that for yeah. sure. <laughs> and I like his character in this yeah. movie a lot. Actually. Who isn't? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. I agree. I mean, well you, you called him a child abuser, but sure. Well, um, that's the thing. It's uh, like you don't need that stuff. Get rid of that. <laughs> like at least make him like the bare minimum of like providing for his like giving the kid food i know i know i know sure that's all but anyway as far as this movie goes though on its own terms will you did i remember you didn't talk about this movie much post tiff like i remember you talked about other things a lot more yeah like so what did you what did sure. you think of concrete cowboy when you first saw it and how does it hold up for you i know you didn't rewatch it but yeah right um i mean i don't think it's incidental that i didn't really talk about much because i felt it landed somewhere in the middle probably like kind of lower to like the third like like a it wasn't 
a movie I dislike per se, but it was one that I felt was kind of on the edge between like a decent film and just an okay one. Like it's, I, I think I'm a little bit more positive than you are just based on how you're talking about the film right now. And that like, I do agree with you that in the beginning when it was starting out, I was just like, oh man, like this isn't really doing much that I haven't seen before outside of like a kind of quirky premise. Like when I uh, started the movie, cause like I said, I didn't know anything about it going in. I saw a concrete cowboy and a picture of Idris Elba on a horse. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be the Western that we were robbed with Dark Tower. Like this is the... Idris Elba is in a Western, in like a traditional Western kind of movie that I wanted to see. And that's not exactly what this is. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think when the story is starting out and it's like kind of laying the pieces into place, it's it's not really doing much you haven't seen before. Like you said, it it is falling into formula. It, it is kind of feeling like a little by the numbers. Um, I do think in the middle, though, it, it kind of figures out its formula in a way that like I remember there's like a big like horse racing scene halfway through that was just like okay this i'm kind of into this now because it's like it has like a zippy style to it like there's a lot of um realism in terms of like how it's photographed and stuff like that there's an authenticity to creating the environments and stuff like that and and i felt like the writing of it was pretty concise and it was also able to communicate a lot with these characters without like over explaining things and stuff like that and by and large i think I end up feeling like it was a decent film. I think it's also trying to do a little bit too much by the second half. Like, they introduce a few extra characters that I don't really think fit into the film too well. Yeah. Like, they, they kind of, uh, yeah, they, they come into the film kind of awkwardly. And I, I feel like they kind of take away from what I was enjoying about, like, the like uh, the midsection of the film. But I will say, similar to you, I remember when I saw the end of the film and they, were, and they introduced the fact that this is, like, a kind of real story in, in that, like, this is a real place and this is something that's actually happening in Philadelphia. I remember thinking like, why don't we just see the documentary about this? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's the more interesting story. Like I, I no offense to like the cast or Aegis Elba or anything. Like, I think it's, it's a worthwhile fault. story to tell obviously, but yeah, I mean, I just think that like by having this kind of contrived by a number of story, you're taking away from what's I think really interesting and what's real about this. And the story I think that would have been more interesting to explore and tell, which is the the real story that they show at the end of the film. And I think there is a communal vibe to that at the end that I found really charming when they like see the like actors and the real people kind of interacting and having fun. I thought like, you know, that's nice. I enjoy that. But at the same time, I just felt like I'd rather just I would rather interact with the real people and kind of get their story and their perspective in the end of this. Like I said, I think the movie we got is fine, and, and I, I don't think it, it does too much wrong. I just didn't find it that remarkable in the end of at the end of the day, compared to like all the other festival titles that it made much of an impression. Yeah, I actually agree with almost every single thing you said. We're actually not far off. I, I just wanted to start off a little bit more negative to give context, you know, for what I think this movie really comes down to, which I think you're exactly right. It's like it's it's a decent coming of age thing. I think that it's executed competently and sometimes they, they do it really well. I mean, this movie, like you said, like I think this environment feels alive. Like I feel like there is a sense of place here that's not easy to pull off. And you can really tell like Ricky Staub made this from the heart. You know, this guy, you can tell that like he's from the area that he went into it wanting to like bring awareness to this place. The problem is I just think that he took like a sort of boring tropey story he elevated it a little bit to his credit i mean and, and i think these performers really do i think elba and mclaughlin and jerome particularly just really bring something to it that it doesn't deserve and yeah the the we find out at the end of the movie 
that a lot of these actors that we're seeing in, in these stables are, like you said, like the real people who work there and live there. And that does come through. You you do sort of feel like that the, their heart their hearts are in it too. And it, it does have that sort of like be kind, rewind, like let's get together and, you know, make a movie to, you know, kind of mentality that I really find charming and I find heartwarming. And I think that's where this movie is at its best. It's just such a mixed bag that I end up being more disappointed despite the film not technically being that bad. You know, I, I wrote my review for Awards Watch and uh, literally like I gave it the grade and everything. And, and my editor there was like, so is this fresh on Rotten Tomatoes or is it negative? Because he, he really couldn't make heads or tails out of where I ultimately landed. And I was like, you know what? I think this is a fresh because I do think that most people who watch it are going to get something out of it. Even though I'm pretty disappointed right now, I can't say that I'm upset that I saw it or that there's nothing in it that's valuable or worth checking out. And I think it, it genuinely does come down to they executed it just fine. I just think that the ideas that were inserted into the script were just flawed from the get-go. Like the, the premise of it was just a little bit like they, they should, I wish that they had done a little bit more work to refine the story down into something a bit more cohesive because this could have gone from being just sort of like a forgettable, but moderately enjoyable film about this way of life into being something more invaluable and more buzzy, like another Nomadland kind of thing. Uh, even though I don't love Nomadland or anything, I do think that movie does bring a lot more to the table uh, by comparison, even though I think that like this film has more than enough potential to completely outshine a lot of the films we saw this award season. So yeah, that's, that's where I stand on Concrete Cowboy. I definitely don't hate it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I saw a lot of movies at TIFF that I like. So when I say it's in the lower quadrant, that's not really a diss on the film per se. I just think that because a lot of the films I saw there were significantly better for a number of reasons, uh, the fact that this was just a kind of decent one didn't make it stand out in the pack. Right. I think like if, if I had seen this at like South by Southwest, it might have even been in my top 10. I don't even know, uh, <laughs> just funny. compared to like what we saw there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like you said, it's like it, there's a lot here that's frustrating because like the stuff that works is good or even great. That's like the stuff that holds it back by being kind of plain or kind of by the numbers or derivative or something like that. Just that makes it a little bit more annoying because it's like, oh, man, like if you just kind of figured out a unique approach to this thing or maybe like kind of focus story a little bit more or something like that, this could have been like a pretty darn good movie but as it is i think it's it's fine like it, i yeah. don't dislike it like i said like i i think there's stuff in it that's annoying and stuff that could have been better and like i said i think this the the better story is uh not fully explored here but in the end i i did find the story between the father and the son while not original to be uh fairly engaging and uh, even kind of sweet at the end so um yeah i mean i think for that reason i'll give it like a low but admirable b minus i'm i'm an extremely high c plus like it's the highest C plus you can have, but still it still make it kind of like a soft, soft, soft recommend. Like I really don't think people need to rush out and see this. Yeah, there's it's, no urgency. To it's it, on Netflix. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can just check it out on Netflix. It's a pretty easy, accessible watch. Uh, I think it's probably the best place to put it. I, I didn't even realize until a month or so ago that Netflix picked it up, but when they did, I was like, ah, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's not that long either. It's just under two hours, 111 minutes. So you can you can knock it out if you have a, an interest in it. And I, and I hope, like to your point, I mean, I hope they actually do a documentary about this because if, if you did a documentary about this and did it really well, man, you would have such a great story here. You would really have something that I think would take people off guard a little bit more. But alas, this is the movie we got and it is something. So that is Concrete Cow. 
let's talk about our last film of the week. Let's talk about WeWork or the making and breaking of a $47 billion unicorn. You know, this is one of those documentaries where as I was watching it, I was thinking about what could have been a cleverer title for this, you know, because it doesn't yeah, have that, that clever that's a title. a bulky of a title. Right. It doesn't have like the, uh, you know, what was the Theranos one? Like Bad Blood or whatever, or, you know. Oh, The Inventor? For Th- Theranos? What? Was it called The Inventor? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Out for Blood. That's what it was. Out for Blood in Silicon yeah. Valley. The Inventor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like something like that, you know, where it's like, oh, we're having a little bit more fun with it. They, they didn't really do anything with with that here it's kind of like fire fest where it's just like that's the name of it fire you know <laughs> but uh yeah this is a new documentary on hulu it was written and directed by jed rothstein and the documentary follows the long-running and still in some ways ongoing saga of WeWork, which is a kind of an infamous real estate tech startup that started out in new york it was founded co-founded by adam newman a very eccentric I don't want to say billionaire, I guess multimillionaire, who started the company, had a very specific vision around it, and this this documentary gets into what happened with it. Now, I will be honest, Will, I didn't know much about WeWork at all until about two years ago when mm-hmm. stuff with it started to hit the fan. And I remember seeing a lot of like uh, a lot of like chatter about it online. I remember seeing like I think it was like a CNBC yeah. video about it that kind of like went over the broad strokes. And this documentary doesn't even cover mm-hmm. everything. It really doesn't. Like there's a lot more oh, to no, what it does went not. down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and to the point where it's like they constantly talk about like the two inventors of WeWork, but the other guy, I don't even think they really hear his side of the story at all. I was yeah. kind of curious about that. I don't know if that bothered you at all. They don't even say at the end because they say at the end that uh Adam Newman and his wife, they refused to participate in this documentary. They didn't respond, you right. know, didn't do anything for it, which, you know, you can kind of expect. But at the same time, right. um, they don't say anything about his co-founder, Miguel. I forget his last name. So, yeah, it's curious. I don't know. I just found it weird because it's like they don't ignore him because they, they show videos of him, like they show pictures yeah. of him. But like they don't ever like bring him up or like his involvement in the making or breaking of the company. It's just like it was an odd decision, I felt. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So in that sense, I think this is a very like workmanlike documentary. It it does what it sets out to do. I think that it gives a comprehensive, certainly not complete. There's, there's you know, everyone's going to complain that your documentary is not going to have everything. But I do think it's comprehensive. It gives you a good idea of where Adam Newman comes from, what sort of informs his like tech CEO persona that he's going for here. Uh, specifically, they get into like how his nomadic lifestyle as a kid informs his vision for this company, which is that he really, it seems like his initial intention and what he really stuck to for a long time was he wanted people to be a little bit more connected in a face-to-face environment. I mean, it's kind of sad when you consider what happened with the pandemic and all the isolation that happened for so long and in some ways still is happening. When the idea though behind like people sharing workspace in a way that's a little, you know, a little bit more millennial, I guess, which you can take that as you will. Uh, I remember WeWork being such a buzzy sort of thing. Mostly I knew of it in like New York, where if you wanted a co-working space, WeWork was like kind of the cool kid on the block. It was where you could go to like get beer on the keg and they had like baristas. And this is just a place where people who are very much like a Silicon Valley mindset of like, they want to start the next big app. You know, they want to start the next Uber, the next Facebook or whatever. They use these WeWork spaces to sort of not just work, but collaborate and meet other people. And it's like second college, I guess. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, and I, I think that's fair because I think, uh, similar to you, I remember like the fallout of this. Like I, I remember that story that they talk about at the end. But I remember thinking, like, I don't really understand what WeWork is. Like, I don't really get what the company is. And watch the movie, I now have a, I guess, vague idea of what WeWork is, which I guess is kind of the point, because it's like the company itself never fully figured out what it wanted to be exactly, because it was trying to be everything at once, seemingly. Right. Um, it's it's a good business model that they ruined by adding like fourteen other business models to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for a variety of reasons, it, it definitely falls uh, falls flat in a pretty spectacular fashion. Right. So I, I guess if I was to describe what WeWork sort of was, and, you know, this is an amateur's depiction at best, the idea is that, like, there are people who they don't want to work from home all the time, but they maybe are starting their own business, and a co-working space sort of gives you a chance to rent out uh, the way you would rent out an apartment, rent out office space, but without having to pay for a ton of space that you would not use. So WeWork was kind of like this innovative thing where you could be like, I just want like a desk and I want to use the amenities. And they offered people who had some startup money, who had the income, or maybe they had money from their family to go to these places and have that desk where they, they didn't have to work for a corporation. They didn't have to work for a buzzy startup uh, you know, directly. They could actually just go to these places. And there were a lot of people who did work for big businesses or they were in grad school who could use these spaces. And they were sort of like social gatherings, you know? And I think that business model makes a lot of sense. It's why they were really successful in the very beginning. They had a lot of buzz. People really liked the interior design aesthetic of it. It was sort of offering value to a sort of concept that people usually don't really look forward to in their day. Like people who work every day don't usually think like, oh man, you know, like my, my workspace is really cool and really fun and exciting. There is that sort of mentality that that is something that's out here uh, where I where I am, which is like the Bay Area, you know, like people go to work for, or people like working at places like Google, for example, because they have like, what, the slide, you know, Facebook has like free food and all of these perks and all these things. And I think it was a really smart idea to try to bring a little bit of that work hard, play hard mentality to people who don't work for these tech places because you know not everybody can and i think that is fine but i think where this movie gets it right in a lot of ways is how they unravel how adam newman's style as a ceo <laughs> and i do appreciate that they they go to pretty specific lengths to be like here's what he did wrong <laughs> and here's how you ruin the goodwill that sort of thing and here's how you go from being a guy with a vision to being barely better than a cult leader, I guess. Uh, so I, yeah, I think this this is an okay documentary. It's not amazing, but I liked it. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, that's more or less where I'm at. I thought it was fine. Uh, similar to you, I felt like there was a more complete story here that either due to their own limitations as far as like access or like the fact that they filmed this, I think, primarily last year. So there was like some like COVID related difficulties in terms of like putting it together and getting access to different people. Um, there are different things that help the help them back in terms of like telling the full story, but in terms of what they do have access to and the subjects that they can talk to, I think by and large, it gives a, a decent impression or a decent overview of what exactly happened here. Like I said, I don't fully really understand the story yet, but again, enough an idea of the creators rise and fall to, you know, get an intriguing story. I think compared to movies we were talking about before, like I don't think this is quite as investing as the fire festival documentary just because that, that was a little bit more spectacular in terms of uh, everything 
falling apart there. And then I don't think this story is quite as interesting as the Elizabeth Holmes one because, like, that one, I think there's a little bit more, uh, a little bit more going on there and stuff like that. It's a little bit more national of a story, more nefarious. So, like, there's and there's like, yeah, more nefarious too, as well. And, and, you know, like, people's lives were like more directly affected by that. Uh, story in a way that I think is a little bit more investing and, and makes it a little bit more uh, clear-eyed in its approach. Whereas this one, like you were saying, like I, I think it gives a decent overview of like um, Adam's whole story and like how he could be a sympathetic and charismatic personality, but also how he could be pretty manipulative and uh, you know uh, painting a false picture of his uh, image. Which is an aspect the film I actually do really like is that they're able to show like how the media can like create this false narrative in a way that's like not. Really Really malicious in terms of like how they approach it but like how you can be easily kind of duped into like believing this sort of idea in a way that i think right. is uh pretty intriguing i think that's some of the, the stronger aspects of the film and i do think generally speaking that the um stories that we get from the co-workers are when the movie stands out the most just because not only are they the most like outlandish in terms of like these wild parties and like these like you know drinking escapades and like these weird latte stories and stuff like that but i also just think they're kind of more the heart of the story because it's like they're the ones that have a little bit more effects uh, like they're affected more by this than the higher up people who you know generally speaking are going to be fine by this um i I think their story is a little bit more interesting and i think they're when we do actually kind of focus more on them the documentary shines but i agree with you that i think the execution of it 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 definitely plays as you would expect it it doesn't really do a whole lot stylistically that we haven't seen before it's a lot of like talking head segments and then like news footage and stuff like that so i I think they could have done a little bit more to make this uh a little bit more intriguing but i think there's enough here and then i think they present like you said in a way that's like not taking the people off the hook and i I don't think it like villainizes the employees who are just you know kind of you know they they wanted a work environment that was a little bit more fun than your average place and and i think they they recognize like how they could have been deceived by that but not like scolding them necessarily well not letting them fully off the hook either i think that's where the movie really finds a nice balance but the rest of it just kind of fell a little bit uh incomplete compared to compared to that segment you know judging documentaries is really difficult because when you evaluate a documentary you're really operating by a totally different set of criteria than you are a narrative film. You really are, because you have to take in all of these other factors, even what you said there about how, you know, it's a lot of talking heads. And I think what you're alluding to there is that there are a lot of documentaries that are sort of like, okay, you know, it's gonna be informational. That is the goal of this documentary. I think that's fine. Like most documentaries, that's kind of just all that they're setting out to do, which is why I think most documentaries by and large are pretty average, you know, like you watch them and you you feel like you get out of them what's intended and you you learn something and for the most part, you know, you get you get a pretty decent overview of the the topic and it's entertaining enough that you sit through it and it's it's a decent experience. So that's what I mean by average. Average not being a slight. But there are documentaries and including the the fire one, the, the not the one that I think came out on uh, Hulu, but I think the one that came out on Netflix, I want to say, where there is an art to interviews for your talking heads where you get people to say things that they would never say otherwise that to me is like what makes a great documentary stand out from just an okay one and i think like that fire one Mm -hmm. why do you think people still talk about that one guy who tells the blowjob story you know because they they were so good at getting those people to spill all of the gossip and of course part of that too is that the situation itself was so 
out of the box that that was the case. But I was thinking during this one, I was like, they're not really driving a lot of commentary out of the people who work there. That is that surprising or complex. Like, I feel like they would have said that to anybody is sort of like where I land, mm -hmm. even though it's interesting stuff. I think the right. only thing that kind of made my eyebrows perk up a little bit was the journalist who sort of touches on that thing of like, when you're, when you're in media and you're talking to these people, you know, even when you're skeptical, you err on the side of like giving them the benefit of the doubt and not that you fully believe them, but just allowing it to be the case because you're not sure. And there is a huge problem there where like we, we sort of like err on the side of caution in that case, you know, where like you and I aren't like, you know, we don't, we're not like journalists, like from spotlight or anything like that, but we, we do evaluate things to some degree. We're not serious film journalist to be to be totally clear but yeah. you know what i'm saying i mean i have a journalism degree so i i, I have some oh, background okay in this for all sure. right go yeah. ahead put on yeah yeah raise your i'm just saying and uh i mean i mean i'm just saying i have a background in this i've studied this <laughs> to sure, be fair sure. yeah yeah i i'm not clowning on you Bilash, and you are uh you're you are the you are the educated man here i mean i did i did learn all about journal i took journalism classes i have a comms degree and everything like that but still i you know never been my focus yeah but what, what do you think i mean does any of that sound okay i mean i feel like i'm just kind of like riffing a little bit here because i do think reviewing documentaries is so freaking weird sometimes uh, sometimes yeah i mean i think i don't know especially coming off of south uh south by southwest which was this was a part of i don't know if we mentioned that it was a south by southwest film that i think yeah. we just put off until now because we knew it was going to be on hulu but um yeah i mean i think the, having watched so many documentaries from that festival you, you do kind of notice like a pattern or like a stylistic choice that a lot of movies like that tend to follow and it, it does kind of take the luster out of it a little bit i think the fact that it is a real story does um you know but generally by and large make it more interesting than a narrative film but um i i do agree with you that i think the subjects here they kind of vary like i feel like they were kind of held back either because the story is too fresh or because like they they have kind of complicated feelings about the subject or whatever but like the the interviews that stand out to me are like um i don't remember the woman's name but like the woman that like oh, kind of has a like, uh, scorched earth approach the, oh, the woman that yeah, um, yeah. i mean i hope this isn't a spoiler i forget her name but yeah i know you're talking about she's like the disgruntled employee yeah, the, the one that leaks the information. I don't know if that's a spoiler to say. But um, her perspective, I think, is really fascinating because it's like it's pretty clear to eye, but she also like acknowledges like how she can be kind of like duped into this perspective and stuff like that. And I think like her I, I kind of wanted more perspectives like hers because I feel like that story is pretty interesting. And I also think the assistants like she I think she gets close to like what you're talking about, like where we kind of get this one pretty damning uh, story from her. And how like mentally it like really affected her working in this work environment. Yeah. But I don't know if like the, the filmmakers are like too like sensitive or they didn't want to like explore that. That's understandable. But it's like I feel like they if we kind of got a little bit more of that, that's kind of got more of the like complicated uh, persona of Adam. Like I think that would have made it a little bit more rich of a documentary. It just kind of felt like we are almost there. Like it is a pretty slick, like well edited, well produced documentary, and that like it, it moves pretty quickly. Like there's yeah. enough like outlandish stories and stuff like that that I wasn't ever like really really bored by it. I kind of feel like it was held back and like either they didn't have enough access to information or like you said maybe the the filmmakers aren't quite adept enough at like ringing out these type of stories from the people involved or whatever. But yeah, it it, it is it, it's it's fine but it did kind of feel like okay like compared to these other documentaries we're talking about which aren't like 
a whole lot better, but I find they're a little bit more memorable or they kind of like leave a bigger impression on me because they're able to kind of find that balance a little bit easier in a way that this movie, it, it has to work for a little bit more. No pun intended. Yeah. But you're you're right. It does go it does go down pretty easy. You know they they pace it well. It doesn't overstate. It's welcome. It you're in you're out with this one. It's only 104 minutes. I, I yeah I think it's lean and to the point, which I appreciate because for me I wasn't expecting anything out of this that was going to sort of like change my impression about anything. But at the same time, I do think there was an opportunity here to maybe comment a little bit more. And I, I was kind of messaging you about this like while I was watching this movie, but. I personally am so fascinated by the way that I think millennials are sort of graduating. And I'm talking about millennials sort of like in our corner of it. You know, there's we're middle millennials mostly, right? Like, I guess you're closer to the younger side of it. But. I'm late millennial. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm like on the cusp, technically. You mean, wait, late millennial? You mean uh, early millennial? Sorry. Sorry. I guess, it, yeah. I mean, I, I, what I mean is that like, like, I think the, the latest millennial is like 95 and I'm 93. Uh, or like it's 94 95. Oh, I see what you're saying. Cuz cuz yeah, I, I thought you were saying like like cuz like the oldest millennials are in there like getting up to almost 40. Oh, no, right? no, no. That's what I thought you meant. I was like, "How old are you really, Will?" <laughs> um no, but yeah. I'm 57. Um I've been living a lie this yeah. whole time. Um no, I I I meant like late into like the like the the bracket or whatever, the the definition of a of a millennial. So Sure, sure. Um I yeah. Specifically, I'm talking about millennials who enter the workforce during or right after the 2008 recession. So for me, I, I entered it a little bit late because I was still in college when the recession was going on, but then I entered that workforce. So I'm not like on the older side of the millennial spectrum, right? And I do think that there is this new professional, young professional attitude of the modern millennial of that time that is sort of transitioning from really believing the message of these tech CEOs who they themselves, you know, Zuckerberg and Adam Newman, like they're millennials, right? And they, I guess like Zuckerberg is like late, late millennial, if not Gen X actually. So I might be wrong about that. But uh, Newman for Zuckerberg? sure. Zuckerberg, I think, I think he's... Uh, if he's millennial, he's like elder millennial, I think. So, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> that said, though, like there is this like tech CEO billionaire vision of like we want to change the world, but really what they mean is I want to make billions of dollars and I will stop at nothing to do it. And I think that there is this big contingent of millennials who bought into that, who were like, yes, like we should be able to work for these businesses that are really like changing the game, you know. And I'm not going to impugn any specific startups or anything but i will say that it is kind of funny that this is coming out around the time that like amazon's dealing with all this stuff and yeah i, I just think that people should be aware of how millennials are looking at the workforce and our current economic system and they're sort of transitioning away from something this documentary touches on a little bit which is this feeling like the system works and it, it works for them. And even the most privileged of these people will benefit from what ultimately is probably not going to work out. And of course, this is a very extreme example, right? And there's a lot of other people who this is, this is you know, the same situation doesn't happen to them. But I do think that there's something really interesting there. That said, you know, the documentary, it touches on it lightly, but it doesn't make a full meal out of it, which yeah, it's a, it's a bummer. Uh, maybe someday. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, I feel like, 
one reason why ultimately I like the Fire Festival documentaries and the Inventor a little bit more is I think they're able to be uh, pretty comprehensive, but also pretty damning of their subjects in a way that's like not necessarily like um, ill informed or anything like that, but they give you a pretty broad overview of who these people are, but also like recognize that like these people are not good people and and they did bad things and they a lot of people got hurt in the process and I think. This movie, it, it does that enough to where it works, but I feel like they could have been more damning of Adam. Maybe, like I said, maybe just because they don't have enough, like, damning evidence from, like, the subjects or, like, they're not quite as critical of them. Like, they're still kind of fresh from this, so they're they're looking at it from a kind of, like, uh, fresh perspective, and, and maybe that that's the, the fall of the film. But um, I feel like the movie is weirdly more critical of, like, his wife than Adam, which, I mean, results in some, like, kind of funny scenes and, like, it, uh, like a fun cameo and stuff like that. But I, I also feel like they could have done a little bit more to kind of give it, like, to really drive home that, like, this dude did some, like, you know, bad people and he, he or he did he did some bad things and he, he, he hurt some people in the process. And yeah. maybe you disagree. I don't exactly know. I, but, no, I um, agree. I think this movie does a weird, weird thing where they're just like, but is she the like person who caused you know like they don't see it outright but they do sort of allude to some weird you know manipulation or something they don't do it fully to be clear they make her uh yeah mm -hmm. they make her like the yoko basically uh, of the story pretty much (laughs) yeah i got a little bit of that sure i i guess yeah i think they pull their punches with him a little bit for a big chunk of the movie because i think they're still like they're hinting at that there's something off about this whole thing. But then when the the chickens come home to roost, I just think that the way that they structured this, it's it feels like a small corner of the film instead of the sort of like, whoa, here's everything sort of like coming to a head, which is what the Fire Festival films did, right? Where they really like outlined what went wrong to a prolonged detail. Whereas this one, it kind of condenses it down to like, the last 20, 25 minutes. So yeah, in the grand scheme of this movie, like you could walk away from it being like, ah, he was so close to like making his dream come true instead of being a little bit more of like, and to the point of like, there are a lot of other things that he did that were really messed up that that they don't even mention. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, this is the rare time, like we talked about, like with with our um, McMillan's conversation, where it's like, that is a miniseries documentary that should have been a movie. And I feel like this might have been the opposite. Like, I think this probably should have been a miniseries by and large. I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, I I go back and forth on that because like a lot of the time they kind of repeat things in the movie. Like they kind of like drive home some points like a lot and then other things they they kind of gloss over so maybe maybe it could have been a film but they should have focused on like other aspects of it as opposed to just like kind of reiterating some some things we kind of got by that point but um yeah i don't exactly know for sure i do i i think that like man i could totally see it too because like a whole episode that you're just dedicating to how they like sort of like sold this thing you know the interior design nature of it and like what got people in the door you do an episode about that weird summer camp you start to show the cracks a little bit you get into like we live which oh my word Mm -hmm. i can't believe that that existed like people really participated in a co-living space like that which I feel weird even saying that like I'm shocked that that could happen. Actually, no, I'm not because I I absolutely see what would appeal somebody to that way of life, even though it just feels so culty. Yeah, I mean, the thing about that aspect of the story, and I hope this isn't too crude to say, but I kept waiting for like somebody to be like, and that's when the orgies happened. (laughs) 
Well, I was gonna say, <laughs> it's kind of like like break the STD outbreak, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. Something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was another thing that I thought was kind of missing from this, and we we can wrap it up here. But yeah, I, I thought it was kind of weird. They never get into like the fact that there's no like they don't mention HR at all, and how do you deal with like people in this space who don't get along and you know the the obvious like social awkwardness that's going to happen and eh, they don't really get into that they kind of just sell it as like well you know it basically worked people liked this business and it, it was successful in a way it's just like its downfall was unrelated to yeah. anything you might kind of expect from the like social implications i mean basically that lawyer guy is like the equivalent of like the hr person i guess here technically because he's the one that that brings yeah. up like the hr points pretty much i guess by default i thought they kind of glossed over it a little bit but uh you know not in a bad way i just i think that this is yeah maybe you're right maybe maybe a mini series would have worked out for this one who knows but yeah I, I still think that it's like we said before competent gets the job done b minus for me uh not as good as I, I wished it to be, but yeah, if you, if you happen to check this out, you'll get something interesting. You'll get a unique take on the situation. I think that there's more, there are more stories to tell about WeWork, and I'll, I'll be interested in them as they come along. But uh, yeah, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to that. I was between uh, B- minus and a C plus, and I think similar to Concrete Cowboy, I'm going to give this one a low B minus just because like we were talking about, I think there's enough interesting things here. And I think they cover enough interesting ground that like I got a pretty decent overview of the story and I, I found it pretty engaging throughout. I, I felt like there was a better film that could have come out here and, and it, it feels frustrating that it didn't come to be. But by and large, I, I tend to find these type of documentaries interesting. It, it, it just kind of hard not to be intrigued by something of this scale and like how they just burn through this much money this fast. Even though, like, I mean, like using like the footage of like the coal, like the like um, B roll footage and stuff like that. Like I, I've seen that like a billion times at this point, and it just feels that that felt kind of old. But yeah. um, by and large, like uh, I think I think it's fine. Um, like I said, I think there's a better movie to be made here. I'd, I'd love if Netflix came out and was just like, here's our WeWork yeah. documentary <laughs> and uh, um, paint a little bit of a uh, broader overview of the story in a way that that gave us a better understanding of it because it feels kind of incomplete as this one. But um, yeah, by and large, I think it's fine. Um, I, I think it's worthwhile if you check it out. But in the end, I, I did kind of wish I had a better understanding of this story. I could I could see Netflix being like, we're calling this We Worked. Get it? Because it worked at one point. Not anymore. We broke. <laughs> All right. Well, that is WeWork, or the making and breaking of a $47 billion unicorn. Uh, we didn't mention that a unicorn, by the way, is a startup that's valued at over a billion dollars. And it is now available to watch on Hulu. It's just an hour and 44 minutes long. And that's it from us this week on Cinemaholics. Uh, hope to have... Uh, maybe another bonus show out this week. Let us know if you're interested. Uh, we're thinking about maybe covering Made for Love, the uh, new show on HBO Max. Um, looking into that, we'll see. Uh, that could be hitting the feed at some point if we can arrange it. Uh, but thank you as always for listening to our show. If you want to connect with us on social, connect with us on social media. Links are in the show notes, of course. You can follow me and Will on Twitter as always. Uh, my Concrete Cowboy reviews on Awards Watch right now. And uh, Will, I know you got something to plug for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I got the new episode of Any Ogre Till it's Ogre out. Is that what you're referring to? Absolutely. Uh, no, no. Just the, the last couple yeah. of tweets you've done have been noticeably good. So that too. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've just been really uh, laying it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. No, I, I 
produce another episode at the end of March of A Ogre to its Ogre with my fellow co-hosts, Matt and Chris, uh, Matt Serafini and Chris Sheridan, to be clear. Uh, and we did a little March Madness bracket, which apparently got little too uh, inside baseball, according to one John Negroni. Yeah, I, I, so I guess uh, if you six if, minutes and six seconds, because I, I still uh, haven't seen Master Disguise. So I was like, I got to wait until I watch it. Because I don't know what they're talking about. Okay. It's been too long since I saw it. Have you not seen the movie? I was going to say, you've seen it before. It's just been a long time. Yeah. Right? I remember, I didn't see it in okay. theaters. I saw it in like at a friend's house. Like it was one of those things where we were sure. like, this that, is terrible. Yeah. Why are we watching this? I don't think we oh. finished it. Oh, man. Uh, uh, I, I do agree it's the ideal like sleepover movie, but I, I did enjoy it the first time. Uh, the first few times, in fact. Um, huh. But my opinion has since changed. And you can find out why and how on the new season of A Ogre, Totes Ogre. So check that out. Yeah, your your opinion, your positive opinion of that movie, it's Ogre. Yep. It's all Ogre now. There you go. All right. We'll see you all next week from the Internet California. I'm John Negroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Lash. See you next time.